Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, pens the following words. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You may be seated. Three main points on your outline this morning, a few sub-points along the way. Number one, if you're taking notes, what I encourage you to do so is this. Young people, obeying your parents is the action that pleases the Lord. Young people, listen to me. Obeying your parents is the action that pleases the Lord. We'll talk about the, the attitude that pleases the Lord here in just a minute. But obeying your parents is the action that pleases the Lord. Let me direct your attention back to verse 1. Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, if you can remember way back, it seems like, to our uh, first days of study in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, I mentioned that this letter was most likely a circular letter. That meant that Ephesians was written primarily for the church at Ephesus, but presumably would have been distributed throughout other churches in the region of Asia Minor. These churches were comprised of two groups of people, individuals and families. Mixed together in each congregation would have been individuals that spanned the generations, young to old. Children, or young people as I will refer to them this morning in most of the message, would have been sitting right next to their parents under the teaching of God's word. And after having addressed wives, that they're to bring themselves into willing submission under their husband's leadership, and after having directed his attention to husbands, that they are to lay down their lives in sacrificial service for their wives and their families, now Paul turns his attention to that younger crowd who, like I said, would have been present and sitting right next to their parents under the teaching of the word. And to them Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Again, this could fall under the heading, Instructions for Christ-like living in the home. How are parents to relate to, or children rather, to relate to their parents in a Christ-like, God-honoring way? They are to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. should be noted that the term children here, it's the Greek word technia, primarily denotes relationship rather than age. That's why I'm referring to them as young people this morning and not children. Because if I say children, children, children for 45 minutes, you will write me off and you will write me off because you probably don't consider yourself to be children. And so I'm referring to you as young people this morning. And I think that's right according to the text here. Uh, Technia, the term there, children, has more to do with the relationship than it does with the age. See, presumably... The young people that are referred to here, they were old enough to understand something about their relationship to Christ and the commitments that flowed out of it. See, the word children here simply refers to those who are under the care and government of their parents. Uh, That is, that they are not living self-sufficiently outside of the home. They may be living outside of the home, but they're not living self-sufficiently outside of the home, as is the case with most of our college students. Living outside of the home, but they're being supported by their parents. And so, By the letter of God's word, they would fall under the government, under the authority of their parents. Sons and daughters, still under their parents' roof, are to obey 
and to honor them, Paul says. Now this word here translated obey, it's the Greek word hupakuo. It's a compound word uh, from the original language. Hupo is the word under. Uh, we learned that when we talk about wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. That was the word hupotasso, under, and then to order yourself, to bring yourself under your husband in an orderly fashion. Uh, but hupotasso, speaking to wives, uh, had to do with a, a willing or a voluntary submission. Same prefix here uh, in the word obey, hupo, you're to bring yourself under, uh, and then the word kuo, uh, it means to, to hear or to listen. It's actually the, the Greek word from where we drive our English word, acoustics. You see, obedience involves a conscious listening. If you don't listen, you can't obey. Did you catch that? If you don't listen, you can't obey. That's why parents and grandparents uh, are oftentimes saying to younger people, listen to me. Are you hearing me? Did you understand what I said? And even it's good at times to ask this question, can you repeat to me what I just said? It's not only a question that's good for husbands, it's a question that's good for our younger people. It means to to come under the hearing or to, to, to listen under those who have authority over us. That's what the word translated obey means. This particular word, it's in the present imperative. You may have heard me mention that uh, phrase many times as we've been studying. And Paul uses the present imperative oftentimes in his writing. That's just a fancy way of saying this. Uh, It's present. That means it's an ongoing action. That means, young people, you are to obey your parents as a lifestyle. It's to be continuous. It's not that you obeyed one time and you get to not obey now. It's to be a continuous action, and it's an imperative. That means it's a command. It's not an option. Paul's not saying, hey, choose A, B, or C. Paul's saying, young ones, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, and it needs to be a continual obedience as long as you fall under their governing authority. That is, until you are self-sufficient on your own and have moved out of the home and have started your own family. Young people are to continually put themselves under the words and the authority, the counsel and the guidance of their parents. They're to continually exhibit a readiness to give respectful attention to and to heed their parents' wisdom. Yes, young people, your parents have wisdom. I wish my 8-year-old and my 9-year-old understood that his mom and his dad have imperfect wisdom, but they have wisdom. Your parents have wisdom. They have good counsel. They desire to give you guidance. Now, let me address a few words to you here, parents. I've just encouraged young people to listen to your wisdom, to your counsel, to your guidance. If that in and of itself is not a good reason to have a daily quiet time, I don't know what is. If you and I as parents are not meeting with the Lord, seeking his wisdom and counsel and guidance, we have very little to offer those who will fall under our care. Okay, I think there's great reason, great application here to have a daily quiet time just for the specific reason that God has entrusted to us young ones who are seeking our wisdom, counsel, and guidance. And I don't know about you, but I oftentimes don't feel like I have all that great a wisdom. But there's great hope for us in Scripture, right? James tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, co-or party of one, 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him come to God who gives it generously without finding fault or reproach. It means he doesn't chide you. He doesn't say, come on now, you should have known that. He gives us wisdom. Now, let me, let me ask you this question. Where is his wisdom found? In his word. His wisdom is found in his word. That's right. We talked several weeks back about, about being diligent to mine to mine God's word and to apply the riches that we find there to our hearts and our minds. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you want to pass that down to your children, we've got to model it. We've got to model it. Let me direct my attention to parents here for just a few minutes. Kiddos, don't tune me out, though. Young people, don't tune me out. Parents, we have a responsibility to teach our children obedience. We have a responsibility to teach our children obedience. You see, unfortunately, the modern version of Ephesians 6.1 is this. Parents, obey your children, for this will keep them happy and bring peace to your home. I mean, do we not see that being played out in neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood? The children, don't, don't obey your parents backwards. Parents, obey your children. Give them everything they want. Make them happy. So you have peace in your home. As parents, we have a responsibility to teach our children obedience. Lovingly, graciously, but we have a responsibility to teach them how to obey. They are not born naturally obedient. They are born, as were we, naturally disobedient. Psalm 51, right? Surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Romans chapter 3. No one seeks God. No one understands. There's no one good. No, not one. It makes no sense that God would require children to obey parents and yet not command parents to require obedience from their children. Did you catch that, parents? It makes absolute no sense that God would require children to obey, which he does in Ephesians 6.1, and then not command parents, likewise, to require obedience from their children. The obligation for obedience is not merely on the side of the child who must obey, but it's also on the, on the side of the parent who must enforce, albeit graciously and kindly, obedience from their children. This is because the parent stands as God, hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. The parent stands as God in the relationship to the child, especially when they are young and unconverted and they they don't have a, a working concept of the gospel and the character and the nature and the attributes of who God is. What you're teaching them about obedience and submission to authority will be reflected later on in life in how they respond to Yahweh, the King of Kings. How are we doing there? Hey, and let me just state, I'm in the battle with you. I am not a perfect parent. My wife is not a perfect parent. We do not have perfect children. That will probably be displayed in 31 minutes, 16 seconds, as you watch them out in the lobby. We're trying by God's grace, but we're imperfect. We are to teach our children to obey. To teach a child to obey the parent is to teach the child to obey God. Likewise, to teach a child to defy and to disobey a parent is to teach the child to defy and to disobey God with all of its obvious and subsequent consequences. 
Parents, don't ever forget that the curse of the fall is built into our families. Every family is composed of sinners desperately in need of a redeeming Savior. While our children may start out life with a certain amount of ignorance concerning certain issues, they're not born innocent with regard to evil. Our kids, our children are born sinners, and the seed of every known sin is planted deep in the heart of each of our children. Again, our children don't come out of the womb uh, seeking God. They don't come out of the womb with a love for righteousness and holiness and purity. Rather, they, from birth, seek fulfillment of their own sinful desires. And given the opportunity, children will give expression to every single evil desire their heart can produce. All you have to do is be a parent or know a parent to know that's true. You know, I, I am so blessed uh, to be able to visit hospital rooms, oftentimes, of young parents who have children, and I get to hold those precious little ones. And as you look into the glistening little eyes of that little one, who can't even see you, by the way, You're nothing but a blurry blob to them. But as you look into those little eyes and you think how perfect, ten little fingers, ten little toes, two eyes and a nose, we need to remember that their heart possesses the seed of every known sin and all it needs is opportunity to express itself. Opportunity and time to express itself. The natural bent of humans from the time they are born is to commit sin. That's why Paul instructs us back in uh, chapter 4 to put off the old man that's, that's corrupted with all its deceitful desires and to put on the new man, which is renewed after the image of its creator. And that's a daily have-to, by the way. Uh, we don't like finish that up at some point and then we kind of walk on where we don't need to do that anymore. That's a daily put-off, put-on. The moment that my feet hit the floor every morning, I'm, I'm in the process of putting off and putting on. A sure fact of life is that our children will disobey us. Another sure fact of life is that we as parents at times will use ungodly means and display ungodly attitudes in order to try to make our children obey us. There's there's a massive reality that we can't escape. And that massive reality is this, that we are big sinners trying by God's grace to raise little sinners. Okay? Our, Our children will disobey us at times. But likewise, we will use ungodly means and display ungodly attitudes oftentimes to try to make them obey us. We're just big sinners trying to help little sinners see the glory and the magnificence of Christ. Amen or oh me? J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite old dead guys, once said this, He said, remember, children are born with a definite bias towards evil. And therefore, if you let them choose for themselves, that's not disciplining them. That's not creating order in the home. That's not encouraging them to be obedient. They are certain to choose wrong. Their hearts are like the earth on which we walk. If you leave it alone, it's sure to bear weeds. And so is ours, by the way. Spurgeon once said, begin early to teach, for children begin early to sin. Parents, we can't forget that we are training future soldiers. Think about these three precious young families up here and and the many others that are sitting around this morning with kiddos sitting next to them, young people, teenagers sitting next to them. Parents, we can't forget that we are training future soldiers. 
We'll get there in just 10 short verses, and then we'll spend eight weeks walking through Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. You see, the battleground teaching, it doesn't start in boot camp. Battleground teaching does not start in boot camp. It starts with a child in the home. And if we as parents aren't teaching our children obedience when they're young, we can have little expectation that they will be self-disciplined and submissive to authority when they leave our homes. We don't wait until the day of battle to teach battle strategy. We teach it right now. You see, family government is designed to be an imitation of God's government. To accustom a child to be obedient to a parent is designed to be one method of leading him to be obedient to God. Paul Tripp says this. I I believe this comes from uh, Tripp's excellent book, which I would commend to you, by the way, Shepherding a Child's Heart. If you are a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, if you have influence in the life of a young person, and I would even say this, if you don't have influence in the life of a young person, but you are a disciple maker, you are trying to help another person grow in their walk with Christ, buy today Paul Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. You'll be immensely encouraged, challenged, edified. This is what Tripp says. Rejection of parental authority is a rejection of God's authority. You get that, young people? Rejection of parental authority is a rejection of God's authority. In fact, claiming, I have my own sufficient authority. And so when a young person rejects parental authority, I'll I'll give a a parentheses uh, exception here in just a minute, but when a young person rejects parental authority, what they're saying in that moment is, I am my own authority. Translation, I am God, and I'll do what I please, when I please, how I please, with whom I please. Do you see how urgent the task is? I mean, all you have to do is be wide-eyed or turn the evening news on to, to, to see that our current world system is dominated by a whole generation of young people who at the core think, I'm God. And so I'll march down the street and I'll act however I want to act. And there are no consequences. Because I'm God. And I can do what I want when I want. You see, you don't teach submission to authority in that moment. You teach it years before. You ingrain it and implant it in their hearts and minds when they're young. Parents, let me encourage you to be careful how you talk about obedience. Let me encourage you to never say something like this. If it were up to me, I wouldn't discipline you or I wouldn't require this of you. But God says I have to. Be careful of using any language that would even smell like that to your children. If it were up to me, I wouldn't punish you. If it were up to me, I would let you, but God's word says you can't, or something like that. You see, that makes you out to be the hero, and it makes God out to be the bad guy, when in all actuality, it's exactly opposite. God is the hero. And according to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus refers to us saying, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more so does your God in heaven, who is good, know how to bless you? It's exactly the opposite. So be careful how we talk about obedience. Don't pit God against our leniency. 
with our children. Makes us out to be the hero and God out to be the bad guy. And I'll tell you, no child, no young adult, no pre-adolescent wants to serve and worship a God who's the bad guy. Let me make another blanket statement here. If you've done that, there's grace. If you've done that, God's sovereignty trumps your actions. Okay? God is able to work in the heart of your child despite you and despite me and despite all of our flaws and failures as parents. Praise the Lord. Okay? But we want to make it not our habit to pit our leniency against God's authority. Make God the hero of your requiring obedience. And when your children or when your teenagers fail, make sure they know that God is still the hero and that he's merciful and gracious and that in Christ he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Push them to the Redeemer when they fail. Young people, let me get your attention for a moment. Got it? I saw those hands back there in the back as well. I'm looking at you. Young people, when your parents ask you to obey, just go ahead and commit now that you're going to interpret that through the lens of this is for my good. Just go ahead and decide now that your parents are for you and not against you. That makes obedience a whole lot easier. doesn't mean that it's not challenging at times because we're sinners and we want what we want when we want it. And we don't want someone standing in our way of what we want when we want it. But just go ahead and commit now that when your parents require your submission to them, when they require your obedience, that it's for your good. They're not trying to rob you of fun. Most often they're trying to protect you. Right, moms and dads? Because believe it or not, young people, some of us for more years than others have walked a few laps around the block. Rules are for the purpose of creating boundaries, and boundaries are good. Uh, the, the, the language that the psalmist uses oftentimes, he uses shepherding language. And he talks about God's statutes, or God's regulations, or God's precepts, or God's commands as hemming us in. That means fencing. It's an old word for fence, to hem us in. And that's good, because it protects us from the outside. It protects us from going too far. Boundaries are a good thing. And so young people... When your parents require boundaries, when they require obedience to certain precepts, just go ahead and commit now to receive that through the lens of, this is for my good. My parents are for me, not against me. They love me. They want to protect me. That will change the way that you view their command to obey. We have some rules at our house. Let me give you one of them. Uh, one of the rules that we have at our house uh, is that my eight-year-old daughter, Aubrey, and my nine-year-old son, Caden, do not play with the butcher block of knives. And the reason that we have that rule and that we require obedience to that rule in our home is not because we want to curb our children's fun. It's not because we want to be some sort of cosmic killjoy when everybody else's kids get to play with the knives. I'm not saying that's true, by the way. But, but it's, it's not because we want to hamper them in any way, shape, or form. Or because we want to deny them any joyful experience in any way, shape, or form. The reason that we require obedience when it comes to the butcher block of knives is because we know that when 8-year-olds and 9-year-olds play with knives, they die. And so my requiring obedience is for their good. 
It's because I love them and I want to protect them. Young people, commit now. If you haven't already, that when your parents require your obedience, filter that through the lens of this is for my good, even if I don't like it. Even if I don't like it. And if that doesn't persuade you, let this persuade you. I will obey because it pleases the Lord. I will obey because it pleases the Lord. When your parents require obedience from you, instead of seeing yourself as restricted, remind yourself God is being good to me through them. God is being good to me through them. Same thing, grandparents. When you instruct your grandchildren, grandchildren, look at your grandparents and say, God is being good to me through them. What should we be teaching our children concerning obedience? Let me make a few uh, quick applications here. What should we be teaching our children, our young people, uh, about obedience? A on your outline is this. We should be teaching them that obedience should be immediate. Obedience should be immediate. We call this first-time obedience in our home. And we're imperfect at it. We, We try to require it consistently, but we're imperfect at it. But we want to be requiring first-time obedience. Here's the principle. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Catch that, young people? That means not obeying when your parents ask you to obey, but saying, I'll obey later when it's more convenient for me. That's disobedience. Obedience should be immediate. B. Obedience should be complete. It should be immediate, but it should also be complete. Partial or convenient obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. You got your Bible walking fingers ready? Let's, let's cross the Testaments here. Turn all the way back to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 15, we read the story of King Saul's conquest of the Amalekites. This may be a familiar story to you, probably a familiar story to a lot of our young people. I want to show you that partial obedience is really disobedience. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I've done what I shouldn't have done, and I've removed the reference from my notes. So I'm reading from 1 Samuel chapter 15. I just can't tell you where. All right? Let your eyes kind of glance for a moment. You can pick up where I'm beginning. The Lord sent me, to Samuel, to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did in Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now, here's the command. Go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul, newly anointed king Saul, summoned the people and numbered them in Talim. 200,000 men on foot, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Canaanites, 
Go, depart from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from, from among the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with, uh, with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the saved people, I'm sorry, but Saul and the people spared Agag. And the best of all the sheep and the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and of all that was good. That's not what he was commanded to do. And he would not utterly destroy them like God commanded him to do. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. And the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Did he obey? He did. Did he do it completely? He did not. Therefore, he disobeyed. God requires perfect obedience. Now, that is what drives each and every one of us to the cross because not a one of us save Christ alone is perfectly obedient. Is perfectly obedient. Obedience should always be complete. It should be immediate and complete. Partial obedience is disobedience. You see, the proper attitude of a young person towards their parents should be this. I must obey my parents completely because the Lord calls me to do so. What God says is right, and therefore, I will obey. When you obey your parents, you're obeying and pleasing the Lord. When you disobey your parents, you are disobeying and displeasing the Lord. Now, Paul qualifies here, and I said that I would give a qualification here. Paul qualifies the extent of a young person's obedience in this little phrase here, in the Lord. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's the qualifier. In other words, a young person is to obey their parents as far as their commandments are in agreement with those of God and no farther. Okay? No parent has the right to require a child to violate the expressed word of God. We don't have that right, moms and dads, to require our children to violate the Word of God. No parent has the right to forbid a child to make a profession of faith, to worship God, to pray, to read the Bible, or such things. The duties and rights of young people in such cases are similar to those of wives back in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. We're to submit to our husbands as to the Lord. Okay? That means if I'm asked to do something that violates the word of God, then I have to reply, I can't obey. As for you, judge for yourselves whether it's right for me to obey you rather than God. But in all cases, without exception, God is to be obeyed rather than man. Moms and dads, make sure that we're not requesting our children to do anything that's in violation of the word of God. See, obedience should be joyful, should be immediate, it should be complete, and it should be joyful. Begrudging obedience is disobedience. Begrudging obedience is really disobedience. You see, we're not just looking for right actions here, but we're looking for the right heart. You see, because the right heart will always produce the right actions, right? A good tree produces what? Good fruit. Yeah, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Thus, by their fruit, you'll know them, or you'll be able to recognize them, Jesus said. The right heart always produces right fruit or right actions. Matter of fact, if I could take you back to to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, just one chapter later, 
God reminds us. He says, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? At the heart. That's right. So we're not just looking for begrudging obedience. It's not one of these, although we get that from time to time. We're looking for joyful obedience. And when we get this, we want to help them stop, calm their emotions in the moment, and to respond properly out of obedience for Christ. We want to cultivate joyful obedience. Okay? The Lord looks at the heart. You ask yourself, where does joyful obedience come from? Joyful obedience comes from the pleasure of pleasing God. Joyful obedience comes from the pleasure of pleasing God. There's pleasure in pleasing God. Likewise, there is displeasure when we defy and disobey God. Joyful obedience comes from the pleasure that we receive in knowing that our actions and our attitudes have made God happy. D, obedience should be with a heart to glorify God. Immediate, complete, joyful, and it should be with a heart to glorify God. You see, obedience isn't only to flow from love, gratitude, and esteem for parents, though these motives are uh, in every way important. But a young person's obedience to their parents should flow chiefly from a reverence for Christ. Catch that? Your obedience, young people, should flow primarily from a desire to please and reverence Christ. Now, parents, in all things, we should be teaching our children that in whatever they do, whether they eat or drink, they should do it all for the glory of God. We should be teaching our children that. That in whatever they do, including their obedience, whether they eat or drink, they should do it to the glory of God. We've got to teach that as parents. Our children are not born with a predisposition to desire to please and honor God. They are born with a natural predisposition to be pleased and to be honored. So are we. That's why we're putting off the old man, putting on the new man. You see, as parents, we must teach our children, our young people, why they should obey. If all we do is go after their obedience or their behavior, strictly after their, their behavior, then all we are doing is creating moralists who learn over time what hoops they need to jump through in order to please you and get what they want. We call that a master of manipulation. We need to be helping our children, helping our young people understand the why behind their behavior. Why am I asking you to obey? Why am I asking you to respond this way? And connecting that back to honoring and pleasing the Lord. We want to train them to obey from a humble heart that desires to glorify God. Paul says this kind of obedience is right. Children, young people, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Number two, young people. Honoring your parents is the attitude that pleases the Lord. If obeying your parents is the action that pleases the Lord, then honoring your parents is the attitude that you are to submit to your parents with. Honoring your parents is the attitude that pleases the Lord. Look at verse 2, just phrase B. Honor your father and mother. 
Honor your father and mother. See, Paul's emphasis is on, is on obedience here. He tells us that it's right, but it's right, and he further enhances that by a reference to an explicitly stated divine commandment, the fifth commandment, which says, children, honor your father and your mother. Now, Paul repeats that. Honor your father and your mother. To honor your parents, young people, means more than strict obedience. It means more than just straight-laced, strict obedience, doing what I've been commanded to do, not doing what I've been commanded not to do. It means more than that. Honor refers to the inner attitude of a young person toward their parents. The word translated honor here, it's the Greek word tomeo, means to highly value. Think about this, young, young peeps. When you think about your parents, do you highly value them? Do you prize them? Do you hold them in high regard? Do you esteem them? Do you revere them? Not inordinately. They are not God. We don't worship them as such. But do you hold them in high regard? Do you honor them? Do you esteem them? Do you revere them? That's what it means to honor your father and your mother. So not only are we to obey just straight-laced, strict obedience, doing what I've been asked to do, not doing what I've been asked not to do, but I'm to have the right heart as well. I'm to honor my father and my mother. To show honor to someone is to recognize their worth. And in the case of parents, this means that young people are to recognize the validity of their parents' role as God-given authority to them. You see, much of obedience is a matter of attitude. In other words, it's possible to obey with a heart that desires to dishonor. It's possible to obey with a heart that desires to dishonor. You've probably heard the familiar story or read in a parenting book of little Johnny who's standing on the living room sofa. And mom turns her attention to Johnny and says, sofas are for bottoms, not for feet. Get off the couch. In which case, Johnny thinks to himself, fine, I'll sit down on the outside, but I'll stand up on the inside. That's that's the heart that does not honor mom and dad. Honor is the attitude behind the act. The act is obedience. To honor is the attitude. And remember, young people, an act without the proper attitude, the Bible has a word for that. The word is hypocrisy. The right action with the wrong attitude is hypocrisy. If you do what your parents tell you to do, but you hate it and you're unwilling and you're nasty about it, then we're being hypocritical. If you do what your parents tell you to do, but you're bitter and fearful and reluctant and selfish, that's not in the right spirit. That's not honoring mom and dad. You see, God's after the attitude as much as he is after the act. Because if the attitude is right, the right action will follow. We need to have the right attitude as well as the right action. Honoring our parents means to treat them with respect and esteem because of their God-given position of authority. But if a child's going to honor his or her parents, it'll be the result of two things. Number one, a parent must train their children both to obey and to honor. But secondly, that parent must live an honorable life. We, there's responsibility here, moms and dads, and I'm included, must live a life that displays honor to our parents. Do we fail? We absolutely fail. Do we blow it? Massively at times. 
But we've got to be growing in such a way that our lives are honorable, presented as honorable before our children. Honorable in conduct and in demeanor. Unfortunately, not all parents live in such a way that it makes it easy for their children to honor them. That doesn't mean that the children are off the hook. But not all parents live in such a way as makes it easy for their children to honor them. Remember, uh, back when we were talking about husbands and wives, I said, Husbands, you ought to do whatever it takes to lead your wife in such a sacrificial, loving way as makes it her absolute pleasure to be submissive to you. Make it easy for her. Likewise, as parents... By our conduct and by our demeanor, by our attitudes, by our actions, are we displaying godliness that would request from our children that they honor us? Some parents don't set a very Christ-like example for their children. But as young people, you need to understand that you're not called to honor your parents as much because they're worthy of it, as much as because Christ is worthy of your worship, and honoring your parents is an act of worship. As a mouthful, did you catch that? That's important. Let me repeat it. You need to understand, young people, that you're not called to honor your parents so much because they are worth it or worthy of it as much as because Christ is worthy of your worship and honoring your parents is an act of worship. James Montgomery Boyce, one of my favorite pastors, he's passed away now. He has helpful counsel for the young person who finds it difficult to honor his father and mother. He encourages us to do this. He says, study your parents and pick out those areas where you can properly honor them. Instead of majoring on all the flaws, study your parents. Be diligent and find those areas which you can honor them. Even if your parents are non-believers, there are bound to be qualities about them that are honorable. Are they hardworking? Are they resourceful? Are they giving? Are they kind? There are things about your parents, even if they're non-believers, that you can honor if you'll look for them. Study your parents. Look for those areas that you can honor them. Once we leave our parents' direct authority and start our own family, we outgrow the command to obey our parents. But the command to honor your father and mother never goes away. It never goes away. I, as a married man with children of my own, am not called to obey explicitly my parents. Now, let me say something. I recognize, much more so now as a 35-year-old man than I did as a 15-year-old man, that my parents have wisdom. And so when my parents speak, do you know what they have? They have my ear. So though I'm not bound to obey, I am wise to listen to their counsel but I am bound to honor them all the days of my life. How are we doing there, young people? How are we doing there, people, in midlife? Number three, young people, learn that blessing always follows obedience. We'll be relatively quick here. Learn that blessing always follows obedience. Let me draw your attention to the last half of Verse 2 and verse 3. Paul says, this is the first commandment with a promise. Speaking about honoring your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, here's what you need to know. Paul is taking a promise that was originally made in the Old Testament. And he's applying it to New Testament Christians. 
See, the promise was originally made here to Jews as they entered Canaan. But here Paul applies it to New Testament believers. The Christian child who honors, which includes obedience, his parents can expect two wonderful blessings. When children obey and honor their parents, when young people obey and honor their parents, they are protected from a world of evil, their lives are oftentimes prolonged, and they realize an abundance of blessing that comes from living life God's way. From Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22, blessing always follows obedience in Scripture. You can write out in the margin there if you want to look at it later. Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's a great place for you to look. If you want to see that blessing always follows obedience. And that theme found there in Deuteronomy flows all the way through the rest of Scripture. Paul, or, uh, Moses says, Speaking for God, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I have commanded you, it will go well with you. If you don't, there are repercussions. Blessing always follows obedience. Paul's words here in verse 3, they state a general principle that obedience fosters self-discipline, which in turn brings a better life and a longer life. A there on your outline is a better life. B is a longer life. Let me say just a few words about each. A better life. Paul connects obedience and honor. When we obey and honor our parents, Paul connects that to a life well lived. He says that it may go well with you. You see, it's important that we understand and therefore help our children to understand the meaning of this promise here. He says when, you see, when Paul says that it may go well with you, he isn't promising that our children's lives will be trouble-free. He isn't promising that our children's lives will be free of distress and trials. Jesus himself said, in this world, there will be what? Trouble. There will be tribulation. Paul's not saying that life will be carefree here. This fallen world is fraught with trouble. Neither is this a promise of health and wealth, as peddled by Joel Osteen's Your Best Life Now. That's not what Paul's talking about here when he says that it will go well with you or that you will have a better life. What is Paul saying then? What's the meaning of the text here? Paul's saying that young people would be more happy, more useful, more virtuous if they obeyed their parents than if they disobeyed them. That's what Paul's saying. Young people, you will be more happy, more useful, more virtuous, and we could continue the list there if you obeyed your parents rather than disobeying them. As a general rule, young people who learn the self-discipline of obedience, who learn to honor authority, live happier, more content lives. Young people who submit themselves to their, their parents' guidance and counsel and wisdom, learning diligence and self-control, they often don't become slaves to their passions and so live uncontrolled lives. They're oftentimes spared from bad influences, bad decisions, and bad habits. Moreover, they're more likely to develop godly or Christ-like character. Paul told Timothy, his son in the faith, godliness, or doing things God's way, or obeying God's word, is of value in every way, for it holds promise in this present life, and also for the life to come. Paul says, you, you obey your parents and you honor them and you'll have a better life because most likely you'll be spared from much. 
and in B, a longer life. And not only does obedience and honor lead to a better quality of life, but in general, by way of general principle, it also leads to a longer quantity of life. Paul says that you may live long in the land. You see, obedience to parents and our honor of our parents and their authority is usually connected to virtuous habits that result in a longer life. In other words, children who obey their parents oftentimes avoid the perils that would shorten their lives. Let me give you some examples here. When parents teach their children or their young people the dangers of addiction to alcohol, the dangers of the use of illicit drugs, the dangers of sex outside of marriage, etc., 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 and that child disregards his parents or her parents' sound counsel, that child, that young person, has set his or her course, life on a course, that does not, as a rule, lead to long life in the earth. Many scriptures underscore this principle. Why Solomon said this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 10. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many, he says. Likewise, in Proverbs chapter 10, fear the Lord, prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. It's important to note, and I'll close with this thought. This doesn't necessarily mean that a young person who dies as a young person was necessarily disobedient or dishonoring to his or her parents. Rather, Paul is stating a general principle here, a general rule of thumb. When parents, or when children rather, when young people obey their parents' authority, when they are submissive to them and they honor them, they will generally escape a good deal of sin and danger and thus avoid the things that could threaten or shorten their lives. You see, God enriches the lives of the obedient. Sin always robs us, but obedience always enriches us. Children, teenagers, college students, a lot of truth contained in these three verses, that if we heed them, we'll bring blessing to our life, but if we ignore them, we'll bring detriment to us. A conscious decision to obey and honor your parents will change the direction of your life, I guarantee it, because God's word says it and for the better. As we close this morning, let me draw a universal application here from these verses. For everyone here this morning, for everyone here this morning who knows Christ savingly, you are an adopted child of God. Ephesians 1, 5. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons. If you know Christ savingly, then you are an adopted son or daughter of God. And as a spiritual child, then, I have this question for us. How are we doing when it comes to obeying God's word? How are we coming, or how are we doing when it comes to obedience that is immediate? Obedience that is complete. Obedience that is joyful. And obedience that is out of a heart or motivated by the glory of God. How are we doing there as children of God? How are we doing at honoring Christ and esteeming him with our lives? 